0: think about what could I do to help so I have my own sewing business so I started sewing masks and decided to sell them through the front office and I started to get money from that so every $1 from the mask I sell I give it to House of Hope something that I'll take with me to high school from Bethany is leadership Um, what I've learned here is
1: um the opportunities and the good times I've had, but then more
0: importantly, how I have learned. Welcome to this special series on Learner Agency, a defining feature in the emerging future of schools. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and in this collaboration between The Learning Future and the Association of Independent Schools of South Australia, we orbit 10 lessons shared by global education expert, Charlie Ledbetter. This is episode 10, The Agency School. To take us on that conceptual journey, Charlie, I hand to you. Give us a sense. The agency school, what is it and why does it matter?
2: Well, I suppose the agency school is is um, a community to discover the future in a way and to create the future um, with students and teachers working together to um, not just find paths into the future not just to um, solve problems but to open up future possible worlds I suppose so um, future possibilities that people can step into which are a better more um, attractive more rewarding more um, sustainable and inclusive uh, in many ways and um, I suppose one of the things that I think schools should be encouraging now students to to know is that the future is being made and it's being made by all all people but young people are a critical part of that and there are many possible futures and the future we end up with will partly depend on what we are enabled to do and what we can create so I think school has got to model that kind of experience for students that it's about creating possibilities um and that's about we've talked a lot in this series about power um about shifting power to students, students gaining power. It's actually also about teachers gaining power, power to become agents. So when I think you go into a school like that, you would see students working together with teachers, teachers being enabled to act and create, take initiative, and the whole school feeling powerful, not just one bit of it power would not just rest in the principal's office or in the senior leadership team you'd you'd feel it all over the place and this sense that the the school is a sort of creative community joined in a cause that it's got a really powerful shared sense of mission and it's a, a community and in that sense um you know that schools can sometimes seem rather deterministic they're like um you know they're like bags on a carousel at a you know students are like bags on a carousel in a a luggage collection area at an airport going off to different destinations and you know it's a sort of rather mechanical system where there isn't that much discretion and you're sort of sent off packed off to your destination i think these schools are actually what they're most, what they are really is purpose-seeking. They're not purpose-following. They're places where people can find purpose and discover it. So not just find a way to achieve a purpose, but find out what a good purpose is. So they're purpose-seeking organisations. And for that, the students need to be engaged in finding purpose, but so do all of the adults in Mm. the school and connected to it. It's about the whole school. You can't just do this as we're going to give you a course on agency, but I as a leader, as a teacher, as an adult, I'm not going to change who I am. Um, The adults, the teachers have to be part of this story as well. Um, And when they do, that creates a real energy and a kind of generative power that really kind of creates that momentum for change and development and growth and possibility.
0: Oh, Charlie, that's such a great start. This is going to be a good conversation. I, I've, and we've, we've covered so much ground as well across these 10 different lessons. Two things I want to just hear from you on. One is this idea of... You've talked about discovery or purpose-seeking, and yet the arrangements of schools are kind of structured in the delivery mechanism. Your idea of the kind of mechanistic, I think, is a is a really interesting way of thinking about that. What, what's your reflection on that first? And, and then the, the second piece... I really think is about – it seems to be a common theme around identity, be it leadership, be it the way that a teacher talks about it, you know, the language that we use that's linked to identity. You're a student, you're a teacher, these are your roles. How does a school, in terms of the way that it's structured – and we'll get to this, of course, with real examples – what is it about the new arrangement of a school that that shifts that dynamic? So rather than being redistributing power, I love your reflection around – How do you generate more power? It's not a zero-sum potentially. So rather than the principal shifting the power to the teachers, how does everyone actually have more power by having more agency in their own life and learning?
2: Well, I think on on the first, I think deterministic or purposive systems are where goals – objectives are set, probably quite quantified in many terms, and there's a little bit of innovation allowed in how you reach those goals. Um, Purpose-seeking organisations are constantly interpreting the world. They're constantly looking for better goals to reach, so they're both about the goals and the means, and there's a much more interaction between means and ends. So in deterministic systems, goals are set, actually find the best means to reach the goal. Actually, in these purpose-seeking systems, actually the new means enable new goals. And that's what you see, I think, in these schools, is that once you open the door, other doors open up. Because once you get students and teachers engaged in this sort of more interactive, creative kind of learning, actually then all sorts of other opportunities open up. And there's a critical moment then, I think, often for schools is, do you open the first door when you get into this new space of possibility, do you then open the other doors that that opens up or do you retreat? Do you turn it into a little project on the side or does it become an unfolding process? So I think that's, that's part of what we're about, I think. And, you know, that's a very, uh, you've got to step into uncertainty for that. It's something you need to have a certain kind of structure around. So but your your second point, you know, this question about structure and arrangements. Mm-hmm. At the moment, the arrangement of a classroom with possibly a whiteboard or a blackboard and a teacher and a desk and rows of rows of desks and students and textbooks and lessons and exams all of those arrangements are set up in a particular way to you know school your imagination to think this is what learning is and this is what education is and what these schools i think are really good at is both breaking that up but also creating a new and more dynamic kind of structure to it which depends crucially on engaging students as capable participants, contributors, responsible um, and committed, winning their commitment, and teachers as brilliant designers, facilitators, shapers of those environments. So knowing that crucial sort of sense of knowing when you need some structure, when you need a bit of intervention, when you need to provide knowledge, and when you just create an environment in which new stuff can come and emerge and grow. Um, So there's, I think in these schools around these projects, a tremendous sense of excitement and growth going on. And that, that comes from not knowing what the outcome is in the first place not it's not saying we know exactly what the outcome of this process should be this bag should get on this carousel and go to that destination you know which is one model of thinking about education actually the destination is currently unknown and we're going to find it out that's the kind of ethos of it fantastic charlie all right let's let's introduce our three fantastic uh,
0: practitioners that have come in today give us a sense of who you are and and the work that you do
1: Hello, and thank you for this invite. My name is Anne from I'm uh, currently teaching and learning coach at Scotch College in the junior program, um, and I work in a team of practitioners who are on different points of this journey, um, and we're, as Charlie said, we don't know the outcome, but we're going for the ride. You're going for the ride. Fantastic, yes. Anne.
0: Thank
3: you for being here. I'm Lauren Lovett and I work in the Work Ventures program at Uthink, which is a school for um, above school age students, so 17 to 24. And I work in the area of um, Work Ventures, which is professional development and like employment. So Mm. we employ our students in a number of different
4: um, kind of
3: industries. Um, And that's, yeah, that's great.
4: Great. Thanks for being here, and I'm Carrie Phyllis and I work with Lauren at You Think and I lead the learning
0: team in our school. Fantastic. Thank you, Carrie. Good to see you again. Yes. You're back. Uh, Charlie, I'm so excited for this conversation because as we're talking about the agency school, we have two very different school contexts. You know, You Think, which has been around for four or five years now and kind of really is form formated or, you know, around this kind of late teens into early adulthood and, and you know, employment um, as an alternative setting. Um, and then Scotch College, which has been, you know, a, a well-established, traditional, well-performing school for a long period of time. So I'm, I'm interested to delve into this. And so let's go to the You Think journey first. Carrie, take us a bit on that journey. Where have you started? Where are you right now? And, and how does kind of the agency component fit uh, with the model that you're creating?
4: And the agency component fits right at the middle of our model and it always did. It was the impetus in the first place and has stayed there. But that has changed as we've evolved and done our own learning around what this means for students. Uh, For the last three years, we've worked with this concept of um, having a capability-based curriculum which ties into this agency school being in that more heuristic space. And if we run with this capability based curriculum, we will see, or our students will experience an increase in their own personal agency, which when we were looking at Charlie's model today of the four kind of dimensions of that agency school and we were looking at the goal, the goal of our school has been pretty consistent and the end we're looking to meet is that students um, build towards a life that's meaningful for them mm-hmm. and that goal has also stayed consistent, but obviously that end point of a goal like that varies depending on the student, which then means our purpose-seeking with the student is really varied. Our means are really varied. Mm. Our end goal is similar but super variable, and then that all comes from our students, and then co-design becomes really, really important Mm. in meeting these goals with our students alongside our students.
0: Give us some, um, and Lauren, jump in here as well if you like, give us some examples of how... You've seen that play out. So the idea, you know, the principles are few. In fact, the kind of principle is universal, but the methods are really diverse and varied and responsive to the learners.
4: Yeah. Um, at the moment, we're running a project where our key um, capability we're looking to build in students or looking to invite students to build themselves is collaboration. So we're running about four or five different themes around collaboration. And so our staff then went to their communities and their connections to see what was available. Mm. Uh, The only constraint we had was time. So we were working in these three months now. And that was our only, obviously some budget constraints, but time was our only constraint. So we said to our staff, these are our interest areas of our students. Uh, What are your connections? What are your interests that align and skills that align? Mm. Who do you know? What projects can we run? And at the moment, we're running a Minecraft project. We're running a canoeing essay Water project. We're running a um, collaborative art project where we're going to activate a window with a mural with some students. That's now gonna take mm-hmm. an Indigenous um, theme in it because one of the students in that team is exploring their Aboriginality and really wants that to come through in the project. We're running a biodiversity team mm-hmm. in um, collaboration with the Adelaide City Council. So we sort of, we we just put all the, our ideas out there. We ask the students for their ideas. We go to our community and we just see which ones align and work really hard to pull them off. Wow. And sometimes it works, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work, but we're always in the mindset that it could work, so yeah. let's see what happens. And Yeah, and then we've got... A really diverse range of students who can opt into a really diverse group
0: of projects. That's fantastic. Yeah. Laura, what would you share from your experience?
4: So
3: um, the teams I work with have changed depending on student interest. Um, and that's meant that we've had to kind of look at different people to facilitate or to employ um, to kind of run these programs. Um, so uh, we've had teams that were kind of around production and making things and then that shifted to mm-hmm. sustainability because there were students who were interested in just sustainable kind of creating sustainable products. Yeah. We've had like a team that was interested in marketing, expand to now filmmaking and creating commercials and um, and further like doing portrait photography and stuff because a lot were interested in that. Um, so we've ha- we kind of adapt depending on kind of student interest but then, of course, there are hiccups along the way because, of course, no one wants to do the menial job or no one wants mm-hmm. to do, like, my, people want to make the blockbuster film or write the poetry book before kind of learning those steps in between. Sure. So it's like, um, it's a balance, I suppose, between, yeah, sure, this is a pathway. We can connect you with these professionals. So you can kind of have work in this field that you're really keen on, but you can't, like, jump to the end before you've, like, learned these steps. And so it's balance. yeah, it's balance between kind of, Giving the student choice and allowing them to explore their interests, mm. um, and supporting them in that, whilst still, you know, not getting them to put a label on the jam jar, but showing them that there are certain steps that you need to take in the middle as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. great. Um, and making and that becomes really clear. Obviously, if, you're trying, if there's a very clear, authentic purpose for something, you need a certain knowledge set to be able to use a program to engage in that yeah. particular activity, mm-hmm. or whatever the case might be. Yeah. It's a really authentic way to design. Yeah.
3: yeah, so it's a lot of a lot of kind of being spontaneous and being able
0: to adapt quickly. But I mean, that's part of it. So yeah, great, mm-hmm. love it. Um, let's come to you because this uh, this is why I'm going to love this mm-hmm. conversation. Um, give us a sense of the journey there at Scotch and you know around um, a quite you know quite a large school. Uh, what, where did you start, and what's been the kind of progress mm-hmm. for you and the team there?
1: It's um it's been an interesting. Time two and a half years. We started off as whole school. Um, We've got a 1,000 students going from ELC right through to Year 12. But after sort of push and pulling and trying to negotiate in our best way in the first few sessions, we then came to a bit of a stop. So um, my junior team decided we'd tackle that. And I had a couple of staff members who were really keen. And so through that practice we took it on board. And so we started looking at our foundation and made our hypothesis. And we were trying to ask the question whether well-being is part of student agency or mm. whether student well it was an outcome. So I guess we're looking at all different aspects. But because we're such a historical school, just had 100 years, 2019, oh. so um, there's a lot of tradition. Um, and we have a lot of structures in place, which brings me to the point of doing the steps in between as well, because sometimes we find that students um, need to have specific skills first. Mm. So we've got a lot of teachers who are now really well skilled up in the capabilities and trying to impart those skills as well to help children to make those stages happen um, and we noticed that a lot of the structures we had in our inquiry matrix, our structured inquiry matrix were already there. We had visible thinking routines. Right. We had um, pinnacle actions. We had the language already there, which we developed about four years ago. Um, we had through lines um, for each area. And then we had this overlay of well-being as our core principle and core value for the college. Um, and so there was a lot going on. We had to sort of break it all down. Mm. And we also had this Live Well program that had begun about four years ago as well, which had different sections to it, which we've now found that a lot of these structures are making the agency quite tenable in lots of ways, for teachers and students. Um, so we looked back at our structures and said, well, we've got all a lot of structures in place. We should feel fairly comfortable because as Charlie was saying, When you don't know what the end is and Mm. you're having a go and you're being vulnerable, you're not quite sure where it's going to end. But if you've got some structures in place, that helps a lot of primary teachers feel comfortable, I Mm. suppose. Mm. So that's how we started. In the last year, we've had some really good progress with our teams sharing what they think agency is Mm. in their own practice. And so we tabled all of this and had quite a few meetings where we just let people speak like we are now about the agency. And we noticed the passion coming through and the ideas and the differentiation of what they thought. So then we thought, well, let's define agency again as a primary staff. And so we did that. So We we clarified our definitions quite a few times. So I think it's meant different things to different people and I guess the hardest thing when you take it to education committee is how do we communicate this idea to this all stakeholders? Mm-hmm. So we had uh, a new wellbeing and sports centre being created. We had um, a live well model mm-hmm. with physical fitness, agriculture and sustainability with our farm. We had wellbeing and values. We had service learning Section We had yeah. food and technology and global responsibility. So we already had these points of reference which really helped us to fit into the, the dynamics that was there. Um, and so we just developed our signature learning experiences, age and stage development, and worked with our inquiry and just said, just highlight each time you do your next unit where you think there is more agency, uh, okay. either in your own teacher agency or in student's agency and that's kind of we started very simple yeah and I guess I listened to Charlie's words at first it's going to feel like a big washing machine where everything's out of control and people are going to feel really (laughs) um unnerved and we just said just take it slowly so we've we've kind of gone two steps forward one step back quite a few times in this journey um, but we're really pleased to come to this podcast time mm-hmm. so that we can actually articulate a little bit more together.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So, we've got Tracy, who's middle school, and Sarah, who's year six, and myself. Mm-hmm. And we had three other staff members. We had a creative arts teacher join our mm-hmm. sessions as well. And we had a junior primary and a middle primary. We thought we'd cover yeah, those bases to get different voices. Um, and we were able to show some different examples of collapsing the curriculum for a week and doing enterprise work, future problem solving, world peace game, mm. and just stopping everything and seeing how it felt. And it was really hard yeah, for some that, how others. did it feel? <laughs> I mean, it was really hard because yeah. some people still wanted to have the structure of a timetable. And I guess that's one of the biggest constraints mm-hmm. that we've noticed, that there's no flow and we're we're now reprioritizing. The flow of our work and the ability for students to mm. have that time. I need to learn more of this. I would like to learn more about that. Um, what are the skills of social capabilities and the personal capabilities that align with those? So yes, it's been a big, a big move, um, but I think we've just broken it down very slowly and gently and let people. Have a play with it and i mm. think that's where it's feeling comfortable and now we've got key people who are just doing some amazing things and then other people are taking notice so sort of sports small, small pilot mm. things are going on in year six or in year five or in reception designing a playground and taking it to the principal and getting parents on board and and just communicating mm-hmm. all their ideas in that way so um it's slow steps yeah. um, and we're just trying to track
0: where we're going as we go and then summarise it for each other. That's great, Anne. Um, thank you for giving us – I mean, Charlie, I want to bring you in here quickly. I mean, you used the word flow, and in particular, you know, the learning flow and Mihai Csikszentmihalyi actually died this year. He wrote the book Flow, you know, the idea of, you know, when you get into the, the zone of learning and I think you've brought up one of the great challenges around the timetable. Right, um, And it's just so stark next to you think that in some ways has complete control over the timetable. Timetable is what the young people decided. To do. So Charlie, what's your reflection on, again, it's kind of like an arrangement piece on some of the challenges here as we try to understand agency and how as a school it can become agentic as an organisation?
2: Yeah, well, the, the, the question that Anne is raising is... You, know, you can do a certain amount within existing structures and sort of reassemble them, but you then hit some really big bits, don't you, like timetabling and age groups and year groups and assessment. And you know, And there's, there's a point at which you sort of really do run into those. And the schools have been, I think, generally incredibly um, adaptive and um, uh, creative in sort of making the most of what they have. And adding new things to it, but there comes a point when you say, "Actually, we can't really do this within a forty-five minute lesson in this kind of arrangement." We've got to start shifting it, and then that—that that, I mean, what's interesting about Anne's story is, you know, finding the right pace to do that so you don't lose momentum but you don't overreach yourself you take people with you um so pacing timing timeliness is is really important um not doing it stupidly so that you just open everything up but you leave people hanging um but you do introduce enough opportunity so um i don't know when I don't know when Scotch, with all of its tradition, might be ready to take even bigger steps. But I don't think this is a story that's over because this well-being question, that's not over. Um, well-being, mental health, what success feels like for young people, um, how am I gonna live my life in future? These are not questions that we are gonna settle soon give definite answers to so it's going to keep coming back and so you know for even for a school like scotch where you've got presumably quite successful children probably from quite successful families you know they're not immune to all of those questions so um, i think it's going to keep coming back and when it keeps coming back then the structures and arrangements that we have that we think this is what education should look like they're going to have to start flexing um, because if they don't, we won't really um, meet the ambitions, needs, potential of of students. And you mentioned flow and Csikszentmihalyi, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, um, and his model is, of course, that there is this sort of channel, the flow channel that you're trying to find, which is sort of pitched somewhere between boredom and chaos. Students don't want either. They don't want chaos and they don't want boredom. And what they want is the kind of experiences that uh, Carrie, Lauren and Anne are trying to d- to get, which is in this channel, which is building skills and capabilities so you can imagine and take on greater challenges and that the two build together. And as you become more able, you're able to imagine more complex, more challenging, more um, ambitious things. And the two grow together. And what they want is a sense of growth, that they're not suddenly there's a lid to say, oh, that's over go back to, you know, what you were doing before. So it's finding that channel, I think, the f- flow channel as Mahai described it, um, which these schools are trying to find with their students and their teachers.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, Charlie. I, let's stay on theme here, you know, cause it's like, how do we find the flow channel? How do we find the channel in terms of what's next? Because in some ways it's, you know, it's designing for the extremes. Um, which is your phraseology, Charlie, of course. You know, how do you how do you learn from the extremes of brand-new school, working with young people that have experienced a lot of vulnerability and a lot of disconnection from traditional school that didn't serve them versus the kind of almost the radical traditionalism, as, as you spoke about previously, Charlie, you know, that might be required to take, you know, schools with long-standing traditions on a journey themselves. So where to next for you think, I suppose is the question.
4: Yeah. Um. It's interesting because I think where to next? We, we're constantly evolving our projects with our students, and we just get comfortable because we've just done something for the <laughs> second time around. So, as staff, we're sort of consolidating and feeling more confident, and then we change it <laughs> on purpose because yeah. otherwise, our alternate will become um, the like the determinism will just be the same thing but with something that started out more alternate so yeah we constantly keep um challenging ourselves as staff and I think part of our where to next because our students are going to keep arriving keep needing the type of school this agency school we're building um, is I think there's a piece around who our staff are mm. and how we train educators who are maybe coming out of university or traditional environments with great ideas about how to be this adaptable, how to be really um, constant and consistent with the students with a a manner or a capability, but not with a content or a knowledge. So I think that's where we're spending a reasonable amount of time at the moment in terms of how do we Maintain and move forward, mm. but keep alternate and keep changing and evolving yeah. for our students, because the students will keep coming, yeah. and the staff kind of stay, or we get a few new staff. But how do we, how do we build this model?
0: Yeah, and always maintain the possibility thinking that seems to just be part of and I think being. Sponsor
4: within education is growing, this alternate sector in um, South Australia, we call it this SAS, special assistance um, schools. So they're growing. There's a new one started this year. Like they're they're just popping up continually. So how how do we staff these schools Mm. to maintain? Interesting. Yeah, or how do we bridge the gap between creatives and educators or workplace
0: um, learners and educators. Or... Yeah. I mean, Lauren, maybe what's, what's your insight on, on this? Because the agency school doesn't seem to have like, a, you know, in the manifestation we're talking about, perhaps it's not, there's not a traditional teacher in the, you know, if Charlie's kind of talked about learning guide, learning, you know, facilitator, you know, what's, th- what's your reflection on that as part of it?
3: Well, I've been kind of, because I'm a bit full of baby, I've uh, been going have, have, through have. this process at the moment so we're looking at kind of like who to employ and how to kind of shape the role that mine will then merge into. Um, and I come from a background which is both, well, a few things, small business and then creative writing and then also I teach at university. So it's kind of like a bit, a bit in a few fields that are relevant but we were looking at kind of like what do we prioritise? Do we prioritise getting someone who has a teaching background or an education background or just someone who has a creative background? And then kind of, yeah, trying to navigate what the students kind of need and what will help them with their professional life and networking and things. And we found that maybe an education focus but this kind of Different type of educator, like unconventional educator, um, is potentially more important than someone who's just in the creative industries because um, some of the things that we're learning about, and I've learned particularly this year of of kind of having a larger role in the program of yeah. the professional work program, is that yeah, we want to open students up to kind of people who are professionals in the field and and, you know, entrepreneurs and how to start businesses and how to kind of develop ideas and what they could do themselves going forward. But we're like, oh, actually it's helping students in an educational kind of mindset in terms of like developing routine and developing the need to show up and they're kind of Mm -hmm. seeing the importance of showing up and kind of like giving it a go even though it's not your favourite Um, instead of just like I'm going to jump on a whim to everything that is my favourite because then we're learning now that that's kind of doing the students somewhat of a disservice that they then leave and then go actually tried a bunch of these things. I think I want 75 jobs but maybe I won't turn up to, you know, any of them or, you know, Mm -hmm. like so it's, yeah, it's a tricky thing. We're still learning but, um, yeah, hopefully I think, we're getting the balance between like the education and the entrepreneurial learning and the creativity more of a mix rather than just like prioritising in their professional life. It's all about the kind of the expert in that field.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really that's, – that's really great, Charlie. Maybe you have a comment on this later. The idea of, yes, we want resilient youth, but we don't want them to have to be so resilient in a system that actually doesn't fully serve them, and yet we don't want to also – Enable them just to kind of flip flop without a way where truly being purpose seeking at a level of depth. I'm I'm sure how you know. I think you, you're that's what you're exploring right now in a really interesting way. And what about you? Where to next?
1: Uh, I think that's a really interesting idea, and I I also apply it to any age group where when they're doing a project, they need a project manager. They need someone to guide them how to go through those steps of managing your project. Um, and I work a lot with Tracy, who's spoken in number eight, chapter number eight, for strategies and innovation. So mm-hmm. that's part of how we connect right through the school. Yeah. Um, so this idea of a project manager is really important that students have some sort of a guide, so they know what steps to take and come and ask when they get stuck on a certain part. What do I do next? How do I get the next bit? Is that informative work that's so important, so critical to their having some feeling of success mm. and achievement yeah um and i find in the primary we still think in upper primary we can just send them away to do a project but it's really critical that we teach them those foundational um project managing skills in those early years mm. because you know you want them to be independent i, I really like students who can self-advocate and speak up for themselves and that's one of the things try and find out for yourself what it is you need to do next and that's not an easy thing so um I guess that that sort of structure we've changed our inquiry to call it structured inquiry because we want to use that word structured so that there is a structure to it. It's not just an open-ended task where you go off because you're going to need to learn how to research. You're going to need to learn how to do a few yeah. steps before you can just go and do that. Yeah. Um, and then, underpinning this is the well-being. How am I going? How am I coping with this? Is this too stressful for me right now? I'm not going to leave it to the last minute when it's due tomorrow. What can I do before then? So, always looking at the whole picture of the of the child and the person involved and trying to guide them best way so when we have projects in the upper primary we try and align them to adults in our community that can help give them an expertise Mm -hmm. so that we've found that's worked really well in our enterprise work in the entrepreneurial work we invite a panel in of experts to help them i think their their idea this year was um, a healthy food idea right so a nutritionist in and a parent to talk about that and then somebody else who was um, an expert in the field mm. to help them design their way of thinking of a healthy uh, eating project for their junior buddies. So, I mean, I know it's very simple things, but if you can mark out those steps in the personal social capabilities, and we've also started making progressions to in another project with Arminos of Melbourne University of Ethical um, Mindedness and mm. what do we want to be when we leave at, at 17 or 18, how yeah. how. Will we navigate that ethical mindedness? So it brings back to the four points that Charlie talked about earlier in our time with the moral, the civic, those those areas of agency are so so critical. Um, So we do a lot of that groundwork right through um, to be explicit about it, I suppose. Yeah. because, Because those skills are so important as they build up. Uh, one of the year six projects was build making something that's we did a circular economy and, oh, and how could you create a new product that has Retain a circular value. Yes, from, yeah. And so they had to really think about, well, is it going to end up in landfill? What do you yeah. want to create? for? is it going to have another life? Um, and we were lucky enough to go out to a farm, the project um, tree, fork tree project farm, down um, with a couple of um, um, yeah. families from around have started this new project, which is totally off the grid. But I said to the kids, you you won't be there taking photos of having a lovely day on the farm. You're actually working, you need to wear long pants, mm. long shirt, mm. bring your working boots and your hat because you're gonna be planting and digging. Well, there's and nothing sorting as rubble." as
0: authentic as that,
1: really. It's yeah, not, so, yeah, you it's know, taking it from the And theory. I think it all comes back to that sense of service learning and what can I give back to my community? to um, give me that agency of feeling like I belong because it's like a family. We've all got roles, but if we don't do what our role is, we don't really contribute or belong to that community. So I think once kids realise that what they're doing is something for the betterment of something else or it is a circular economy, what I'm creating is actually going to be sustainable or it is going to have a second life, um, they get that sense of pride and and then you've got that ethical mindedness and that altruism built into the project ideas. Right. So
0: it's, it's sort of, it's, uh, it's, it's developing that whole whole child. So. Yeah. Charlie, we'll pause here for a second just to throw to you before I ask pieces of advice from each of you as a, as a take home message. What do you want to share?
2: well that that was a very striking story from Anne about this sort of exploring this idea of the circular economy it's a It's a big idea, and it has the potential to <clears throat> transform entire economies and resource flows and um, but it's also very tangible and real isn't it and so it speaks to this desire that young people have to know how they can act with others um in an economic realm, but also as ethical and as creative with sense of civic responsibility. And it's sort of building that up from early. You know, it's like, you know, this is not something you do right at the end. You know, this is something you do through the process. You build up that sense of um, uh, what you can be, I suppose. And I loved when Anne said, it's finding out what you need to do next and what you want to be... When, you, when you're when you emerging from all of this. So that's not about choice, that's about ambition. That's about raising ambitions and expectations of growth and a sense of possibility. Um, so it's not just about choice and voice, it's about people finding a bigger sense of themselves, being able to tell a bigger story about themselves. And so then that that's where this resilience question comes. Because, you know, resilience can be, how to cope with a how to cope with your own powerlessness um, in the face of an uncertain world or it can be how to enable your own growth because you'll suffer setbacks and you'll kind of things won't quite go as they can but it's in part of a story of growth I think resilience is really different in those two contexts mm-hmm. is resilience an individual capability or is it a collective capability and I think what we're trying to do is is um, develop well-being not as a deficit response to problems but as a growth capability and resilience as as part of growing and I think both you think and and scotch though very different as schools are, are sort of telling a similar story about how do you create enough structure that you can make progress but enough openness that you build the capacity to imagine to Um, Seek out new and better purposes so that the destination isn't already set in advance. And I really liked the way that um, Anne talked about building the sense of belonging, belonging to a community, because students really want that. They want to know that they belong to something bigger than, than just the, the, themselves. I mean, they're obviously very interested in themselves as well, but they want to, to know that they are. And that sense of um, what, in the past, I've called structured love um, that comes through these schools. There's love and care, but it's with structure, ambition, expectation. It's demanding love. It's not just sort of soft love, if you, if you like. And I think both both these organisations, these schools sort of embody that in, in some kind of way. Um, so the agency school, it's it's a place for both teachers and students and adults and the community and parents to be part of experiences which are about, you know, who am I? Where am I from? There's a sort of excavation of uh, where where do I come from? Um, uh, what are my roots what do I come with Um, who could I be Um, so that's about imagination a possibility and what am I like and where do I want to find this out so that's about exploration and it's about this cycle of exploring all of those things and learning through that iterative cyclical Growing process. We shouldn't be surprised that it's cyclical. That it can feel like two steps forward, one step back, and three yeah. steps forward, one step back. That that is what it is. You know, that's what life is like. Um, so you know, it doesn't go in a straight line, up, 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 better, 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 the whole time. You know, um, that's part of what that's that's more realistic kind of set of experiences for for everyone involved um but it it shows i think both these stories that small ideas can have this sort of generative impact when they're followed through the logic is followed through to the entire culture of the organization fantastic all right and
0: give us a give us your take-home message from this work where you are right now what what's the briefly piece of advice that you would share
1: Inclusivity, I think, um, that is our latest sort of conceptual idea to, to bring to this agency work and uh, we were fortunate enough to discover a beautiful banana tree right by our creek, um, which we believe is many hundreds of years old. And we gathered as a staff and um, we acknowledged that beautiful tree and I guess that's our metaphor, you know, we're a bit like this living creek that runs mm. past us and uh, sometimes it's bone dry <laughs> and has ground stakes in it and other times it uh-huh. is flowing. Mm. And I guess um, we try and gauge our well being by the state of the water, the living water that's mm. there and that's the dana tree that hides and protects us,
0: knowing our history and acknowledging our history, yeah. That, um, really that's wonderful, yeah. Um, and you've, the metaphors come through in the way you describe the flow. flow the like flow, the ecosystem yeah. health is a really great way. Thank you, Anna. Lauren?
3: Um, nothing as eloquent as that. <laughs> um, I think I'm learning the students that kind of to embrace a number of different opportunities, whether that be kind of in whatever facet of their learning or thinking um, or where they're at, um, because opportunities are leading to other opportunities yeah. and then to constantly kind of question and reflect about why we as staff or a school or um, the students are, are drawn to certain things and what we yeah what's potentially driving our our choices because that mm-hmm. helps us kind of take stock and reassess and yeah take on other opportunities yeah. I suppose as
0: well that's great All Right, I love the you know making the unconscious conscious and then being able to choose from that place, you know, it's a wonderful way. Thank you so much. Um, and Carrie?
4: I, I think it's probably that structure. We're moving into a space where we understand what we're doing more because we purposefully sought that That purpose has driven our need for knowledge. So now how do we create a structure mm. that keeps us moving, keeps some boundaries for us, but allows that student agency, that staff agency allows that code design to happen within whatever that structure's structure is going to be. We still need something to keep us upright and moving forward. Yeah. but what exactly is it? and and how do we get it to work for us as opposed to a timetable or a, a curriculum documentation or mm. whatever we might have relied on previously. What
0: does that knee thing look
4: like? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. And again, it's just so interesting having the two contexts kind of both moving from different sides, trying into the center in some ways. It's just, it's really, really strikes me. Charlie, I'll, I'll leave the final word to you. This is episode 10. You know, we've been through nine conversations up to this point. Um, what do you want to leave us with?
2: I suppose what I want to leave us with is the the sense in which these schools um, have, in the real world, not by you know kind of going into some completely special environment, um, stepped into possibility. They've stepped into this could be different, and they've allowed their teachers and students in a structured way with enough support and some frameworks, they've allowed students to step in into that sense of possibility. Um, And that's really, really powerful. And it makes all of the relationships in the school more powerful. Um, It may, in some sense, cede power from hierarchies, but what it does is then generate the power of possibility throughout the school that we could do something else here, that we could go beyond what's set, we could create more than people are expecting. We can be bigger people than people think we are. Um, and that's the possibility that's opened up by this. Um, and that that can be scary for some people stepping into that uncertainty. Um, and they can feel nervous and uncertain and exposed and vulnerable. But actually, if you can open that door and just get them to cross that threshold, um, then it becomes easier to cross the next threshold and it builds up and it builds up. Um, so I, I think the schools involved in this have been really fantastic to work with because they have really been prepared to take that step and to deal with all of the um, psychological uncertainty that comes with that the setbacks the your false starts the dead ends the going back to the drawing board so on and so forth and they've done it in a really committed practical thoughtful uh way um which has been really impressive um yeah well Anne, Lauren, and
0: Carrie, thank you so much for being part of this discussion, the Agency School. And Charlie, thank you for being such a wonderful guide and mentor across this this whole journey of 10 lessons, learning on purpose, capabilities and agency, philosophy, product, and practice, how students bring agency to life, buy-in from teachers, creating new patterns, how to recognise agency, strategies for innovation and change, leadership, and today, the Agency School. And thank you to you for listening along to these 10 different lessons as we've tried to combine the conceptual and the concrete, seeing real change happen here across South Australia.